Welcome to the Van Gogh Notes for Public Speaking. The following is an informative speech about homicide adaptation theory. Dennis Rader was your typical family man, described by neighbors as affable and pleasant. But to their surprise, as CNN of March 1st, 2005 explains, this church council president and father of two was uncovered as the BTK serial killer, named for the method bind, torture, kill, which terrorized the Midwest for three decades, despite his 2005 sentencing. One question still remained. How did a seemingly normal man with no psychological abnormalities become a serial killer? As the 2005 book, The Structure of the Innate Mind notes, the answer may lie in homicide adaptation theory, the conclusion of an unprecedented six-year study by leading evolutionary psychologists David Buss and Joshua Dutley. They argue that murder is a product of evolutionary pressures to which humans have confronted and adapted. In other words, most of us have these tendencies, or even the desire to kill. We just don't act on these desires. But with Buss and Dutley's research positing that two to 300 million people have been murdered in the past century alone, Slate Magazine of August 16, 2005 warns that any hypothesis, which may explain the darker side of human nature, is worthy of attention. So, to fully understand homicide adaptation theory and the grip that these psychological underpinnings have on each of us, we must first examine its origins, next explain its conclusions, and finally discuss several implications of the theory that claims the line between everyday people and murderers is virtually non-existent. While it's easy to think of murderers as pathological misfits or hardened criminals, the reporter of October 10th, 2005 remarks that the vast majority of murders are committed by people who, until the day they kill, seem to be perfectly normal. To understand how this is possible, we must first address conventional theories, then look at the origins of homicide adaptation theory. While work has been done to explain violence and criminality in general, none adequately addresses homicide. As the Financial Times of February 11, 2006 notes, contemporary society largely believes that crime stems from media violence or playing ultraviolent video games. However, as the Washington Post comments on June 19, 2005, societies predating television, meth epidemics, and urban ghettos have murder rates equal to or exceeding today's. A second explanation comes from pathology theories, which argue psychological problems are to blame. Jonathan Pincus debunks this mental disorder theory in his 2001 book, Basic Instincts, revealing that there are studies which show that fewer than 4% of all murderers have a documented psychological disorder. Buss argues that because these theories don't delve into the psychology of killing, they fail to understand the causes of murder. To reconcile these flaws, Buss created his own theory. He and his research lab asked 5,000 individuals of different age ranges and social backgrounds the question, have you ever dreamed of killing someone? Buss's 2005 book, The Murderer Next Door Details, 91% of all males and 84% of all females have had at least one vivid dream of killing another person. Buss explains that these fantasies are the expressions of deep psychological underpinnings that motivate us to kill for quite specific calculated reasons, ruthless, but rational. 
A University of Texas feature article from May 30, 2005 reports that the two then moved on to the largest comprehensive study of FBI cases to date, compiling data from 430,000 homicidal files, all which concluded one thing. All murder is a result of acting upon these homicidal fantasies. This created the foundation for homicide adaptation theory. So if murder is inherently in our nature, why have we not bludgeoned to death every professor who's given us a bad grade on a test or a paper? Well, homicide adaptation theory accounts for both why some do kill and why most don't. So why do some kill? Chicago Lawyer Magazine of March 2006 reiterates Buss and Nutley's conclusion that murder was once a socially acceptable means of obtaining and keeping the most desirable mates because we are descendants of those who ultimately won these mating games. Their genes were passed down to us, creating a hardwiring in the human mind. Our ancestors' history of killing for mating opportunities is why males in their prime reproductive years, their 20s and 30s, are most prone to these psychological impulses. And Boss's case study confirms this, showing that 87% of all murderers are male. They kill to protect their resources, whether sexual or otherwise. On the other hand, women tend to become homicidal for two reasons, to prevent rape or assault, or defend their offspring. The Los Angeles Times of February 6, 2006 notes that these impulses are part of a survival program designed to make us react first and think later, if at all. MSNBC News of March 27, 2006 notes that while we may have these adaptations and triggers, which are precursors to murder, it doesn't mean that all of us will kill. Buss tells the Tulsa World Herald on May 31st, 2005, that there are two primary reasons as to why most of us are not murderers. First, because killing is so costly if we're the victims. As we've created adaptations to kill, we've also honed defense mechanisms designed to damage those who intend to destroy us. We kill to prevent being killed. So attempting murder becomes a dangerous strategy. Second, our system of legal consequences creates a deterrent effect. However, Buss argues that when one comes across the means, motive, and opportunity with minimal foreseen consequences, that's when your psychological circuits for homicide become engaged. Serial killings, such as those of Dennis Rader, make up less than 2% of all violent crimes. Yet their occurrence is symbolic of a far larger problem. As violence continues to pervade our society, we continue our quest for an answer. Homicide adaptation theory holds two implications that seek to alter our response to murder both legally and socially. Initially, as Buss tells the Los Angeles Times on May 26, 2005, the problem of murder cannot be solved by simply wishing away these undesirable aspects of human nature. While the Darwin made me do it theory cannot exonerate a murderer, the theory can be used to create new legal reforms in hopes of preventing future crimes. In personal email correspondence on February 28, 2006, with Dr. Joshua Dutley, the secondary researcher on the project, he proposes that mandatory sentences for homicide take the context of the crime into account, because the chances of recidivism are higher for some people. He proposes that heavier sentences be given to those who are most naturally inclined to murder. For example, a man who kills his sister's rapist is less likely to offend again than a man who kills a store clerk while robbing the cash register. Dutley notes that homicide adaptation theory supports this reformation. 
It prevents those most naturally inclined to murder the opportunity to kill again. Additionally, the analysis of Buss and Nutley's theory reveals that no matter how prevalent murder is in our society, our thoughts about it are even more so. The Brandeton Herald of March 2, 2006 posits that this might be why we almost treat serial killers like celebrities. As clinical psychologist Dr. Glenn Waters tells Revolution Health Group's online newsletter of February 24, 2006, it also might explain why stories of murders entertain us, from videos of beheadings and photos of tortured prisoners to the latest B-movie horror flick and forensic crime drama. They all command our attention like no other human phenomenon. It might seem that what we once called a social exception may be a biological norm. Thus the question arises, how do we prevent these fascinations from manifesting themselves into real action? Homicide adaptation theory revealed the darker side of human nature that may explain why some are drawn to commit even the most repulsive acts by examining its origins, what it concludes, and discussing several implications. We stand on the brink of finally being able to predict exactly what circumstances may drive any one of us to kill. Like Dennis Rader, perhaps with this knowledge, we can begin to undo thousands of years of genetic programming that could drive anyone to kill.